Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. You know, I prayed at the beginning of the service about following the promptings of the Spirit. That is something, you know, honestly, every day of my life, and it's not just because I'm a minister, but I mean, that's, that's, that's what we have to to learn to do. We know that the Father's in heaven. We know that Jesus Christ is seated at his right hand, right? Where he ever lives to make intercession for us. He's faithful. He abides. He lives in faithfulness. First Thessalonians says that he is utterly, utterly trustworthy. And yet when you read the history of God's people, everywhere but everywhere, they simply made wrong choices, didn't they? I was actually going to read this morning, I had this thing prepared about in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, because even in the new covenant, you know, Paul talks about the things that happened to Israel. And he said, actually, let's see what happens. Put up 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. If you would, please, in the Amplified. First Corinthians, the 10th chapter. Father, I give you thanks for what you want to do this morning. Please help me follow your leading and say what you want me to say. Nothing more, nothing less in Jesus' name. Uh, so just read this for a moment. He says, Paul said, now this is the Holy Spirit saying this. I do not want you to be ignorant. Remember, ignorance isn't stupidity. Ignorance means you don't have the right information. And now, let me preface this. We're in a new covenant, right? Amen? Wake up, please, wake up. Just give me a little bit. Then we're going to, you know, bring the sunshine in here, have a picnic in here, whatever. It's all good. We're in a brand new covenant. Indeed, based upon much better promises. And that is something that really has to be engraved upon your spirit that you... You do not, like you've heard me say many times, you do not read the Old Covenant more than the New Covenant. Because if you do, you'll see a whole other representation of how God dealt with people. And I, I, you know, how many times you heard me say it in all these years, you must spend the majority of your time in the New Covenant, New Testament. Because you can't say because God did this to Israel in Deuteronomy that that's what he's going to do to you if you do the same thing. Because that's... It's a different covenant. Hallelujah. It's just a different covenant. Nevertheless, though we're in this incredible new covenant, wherein if you've made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, I mean, my God, I can't, I get excited every time I read the book of John and Romans about the fact that he that is in Christ will never come up for judgment. That by faith, simply because of we've accepted, not by works, not all Israel did is that we had to do. We had to do this, you had to do this, you had to do this, you do's and don'ts and do's and don'ts and do's and don'ts. And that's the whole message. Christ came to, to do away with the law, to fulfill the law, more importantly, 
and then take it out of the way. Take it out of the way. And so because we're brought up our entire life in being about being good or being bad or do's and don'ts, all of a sudden this brand new truth is given to us where he says, your justification before Almighty God, the reason you will be allowed access to heaven, the reason you will abide in heaven throughout all eternity is based upon something called faith. Even as Abraham believed God, he didn't work, he believed God. And when God saw his belief, his faith, he said, he's in right standing with me. Not because of anything that he's done, because I found somebody that believes what I said. And that's, you know, who we are today. And this is why it says that, you know, Paul says, my heart's desire is for Israel to be saved. He said, I bear the record that they have a zeal for God. But he said, it's not according to righteousness. It's not according. They still think that they have to work to get themselves accepted to God. And again, it's the greatest miracle of our dispensation, this thing that, you know, that it's by grace that we're saved. Not of works. It's by grace. It's just God's gift. It is the gift of God. If you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is God's son, he accepts you because of your belief as 100% right with him. You're good. Never have to worry. You're good. And I love the fact that in several scriptures in the Amphite, it says that God accepts your faith as right living before him. Think it. Did you hear that? I'm living right. You, if you believe in Jesus, if you actually believe, just believe. This is the work that you believe on him. Nothing else, nothing else. And man, I'm telling you, this is why the truth, the real truth of God's grace, it really is, as they say, it's almost like it's too good to be true. You can't, you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, certainly I have to perform in some way, shape, or form. And we have to watch it really carefully because performance doesn't get you to God, but getting to God causes you to perform better. You know, see, it's a big difference. You have to see things from heaven's perspective. You just do. But the fact that when I said yes to Jesus, he looked down and he said, as far as I'm concerned, you're living right. And I said, well, what about some of my problems? All I know, all I see is your faith in my son. You're living right. Now, you, that may be, go over your head too quick, but when God looks at Rod Anderson right now, he says, that man's living right. You think I never make mistakes? Please don't speak to my wife. But honestly, you know, to me, that's still, I, I feel like I need to continue to teach the righteousness of God, like for the rest of my life, every single Sunday almost. Because that's the thing that says that causes more, greater faith and more faith, that issues in more faith, the revelation that not because of what I do, but because of what he did, God says that man's living right. Emmanuel is living right. 
not because of how perfect he is. Because I know, I always sends me prayer requests. I know. But seriously, I, I know I throw my silly humor in there at times, but see, that's astounding to me because, again, I still have to fight condemnation because, again, I, I, I'm just being honest with you. There are times when I do still, I can't help. You know, the devil's very, very consistent in bringing thoughts of the past or something from way back when. And, you know, like I said, I lived such, I mean, I'm, I was far from being Satan's number one target, that's for sure. I ain't, I wasn't that weird. But, I mean, you know, I can't help it. I went through some horrific, violent things and the things I've seen and dealt and stuff that happened in my own hands. And it's, I, I'm just saying, you know, some of those pictures will still come up. And um, it's just amazing to me after all these years, to really embrace, to truly embrace the truth that I am a new creation. That the umbilical cord to every ounce of my past was cut by the fact that I, I just made a simple choice. I believe in Jesus. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, he'll show himself rich, just by calling upon, just by calling, and really, I was reading it just two days ago. It's amazing. Just by virtue of calling him Lord, all manner of stuff is released in our lives just because I call him Lord. But I'm living right. And yet, Rod knows that I've got a ton of imperfections, but I'm living right. I mean, and, and, and I, I read the book a lot, you know, and he says, I want you to see you. We just got done singing. I want to see like you see. I want to hear like you hear. Right? I want to see. I want. He, does he really want me to see me like he sees me? Does he really? Why, though? I mean, why, I mean, why would he? want that if it wasn't because it would produce something that he wants produced in our lives. Do you understand how much humility it actually takes for you to know you as well as you know you? <laughs> and then believe that someone else looks at you and says, you're the best. You're absolutely the best. What's that old, what's that song, man? Da, 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 man, the best. <laughs> but you're the, you, you're better than all the rest. Thank you. I appreciate it. Okay. We'll sing that as a worship song later. But I, I'm, um, like I said, I had all this message prepared and like I said, I started to go there, but, um, I'm endeavoring to do, like I said, I just want to follow what God's saying. I just cannot get over the fact that God looks at me and says, you're living right. Just that phrase. I walked around for about an hour and a half. Actually, I was, then afterwards, I stopped well, about an hour. And then I, I forget where I was in the car. I went to do something, run to some errand. And I don't know, I'm just in the car and I just kept saying it. I'm living right. I'm living right. And instantly my head would show me something. But my spirit would say, you're living right. You're living right. You're, God says I'm living right. 
John says, I'm living right. And the funny thing is, just that simple stuff. You know how the Bible says God speaks of non-existent things. God talks about stuff that doesn't exist. that already As if it already existed, right? That's what it says. God, and we're supposed to copy God, Ephesians 5.1. God talks about stuff that doesn't exist. He speaks about it like it already is. And we're supposed to copy him. And it's so funny because... Then, you know, something begins to really get stirred up. The Holy Spirit is faithful. He'll stir your spirit. You will indeed fan the fires of that flame that's been planted in you. Just because you start saying it before it is. I'm living right for God. I am. I'm living right. I am a righteous man. Can you say that about yourself? Except for, except for you ladies, say you're a righteous woman. Seriously, I, I'm just close your eyes and say, I'm living right. Seriously, just, just say this like four times slowly. Close your eyes and actually say, I'm living right before God. Just say it out loud. I'm living right before God. I'm actually living right. I'm not living wrong. I'm living right before God. I'm living right. I mean, God loves me. He's received me. I'm his beloved. I'm the pupil of his eye. He sees me in Christ and Christ alone. Hallelujah. Well, see, so that just, like I said, that just rips my heart. It really does. And, and I, I pray that you have something that you'll give yourself to over and over and over and over and over and over again to actually meditate in the fact I'm serious. It's the, what it begins to produce is phenomenal because everything about this world is negative. It really is. The world, the Bible says, lies in darkness. It just, it's like a pool or a swamp of darkness. God's word is very clear. It says that he's, that when Christ came, he came to, I love this verse, came to lift us into the glory of his presence. And his work was successful, at least I believe it was successful. But see, this is again why you have to really become comfortable with the fact that you are a triune being. Remember this as well. Remember when God speaks, God's a spirit. He's speaking to what's happened in your spirit. You're a spirit. You, 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 the real you, you, remember, you're a spirit. You, you live in that hunk of meat. It's called a body. That's your earth suit. Space suit, earth suit. That's your earth suit. You live in a body. You have a soul. And your soul's gone through hell and back in the world. But you, you have been made right with God. You, you are perfect. And we're supposed to listen to that aspect, that part of our triune being. We're supposed to listen to our spirit, be led by our spirit. Because if you're born again, see, when you accepted Jesus... A great miracle happened in that God's spirit came and began to live in your spirit. That's where the Holy Spirit lives. He lives inside your spirit. And you can't compute that with words. We'll only understand that better when we get to heaven. But the fact is, we're born from above now. And so that's why God says, put on the new man. Quit leaning. Quit listening. Don't live the old life. 
Quit listening to any of the dictates of the flesh. Your flesh has a voice. Anybody here know that besides me? Your flesh has a voice. Often I hear it saying, Hagen-Dazs, Hagen-Dazs, Hagen-Dazs. Pralines and cream, yes. Pralines and cream, yes. Or if it's Ben and Jerry's, it's peanut butter cup. Peanut butter cup. <laughs> I'm sorry, I know I'm the only one that's ever had that experience. But as you grow in Christ, as you mature following Jesus, this life of Christianity, see, that's the thing that this is where you have to stay exercised in the scriptures because it keeps it fresh in your understanding. Okay, I, you know, this body has a voice. This body reacts and responds to outside stimuluses. Trust me, your body will react and respond to an outside stimulus. But again, you've heard me preach this, but this is again something you have to stay aware of. But my body isn't me. But again, like you've heard me say, but I used to think that when my body felt something or when my body had a desire that it was me. But it wasn't me. But I would get condemned anyhow because the real me thought that what my flesh felt was me, right? You've all experienced that. You know you have, so don't lie to me. Hallelujah. But, but it's such a wonderful thing when you actually realize I'm a spirit. I'm in an earth suit. Remember how Paul said, my God, we all, we groan, we groan on the inside waiting for the redemption of this hunk of meat. He said, waiting for us to escape this and enter into the fullness of what God has planned. We groan inwardly as we wait for the fulfillment of our redemption from the flesh and from our senses. And so it's one of the most liberating, freedom-bringing truths to really because I'm just trying to say you've got to know who you are and you've got to know that you are not your body and you are not your brain or your mind, your soul. You are not your soul. This is why we get our soul renewed, metamorphosized, transformed, because otherwise you have a crappy life here on earth because you'll follow the thoughts of your brain the thoughts of your mind that you've been trained with through the world. You'll still get angry as easily as you used to get angry. You'll have fleshly desires just like you did before you, quote, unquote, came to church. You'll, all that stuff will still be there. You'll kind of be the same you because you've not yet learned to listen to your heart. And more importantly, of course, obey like I said in the very beginning when I prayed, obey those nudges. It's just a nudge. It's, it's a nudge. It's just a prompt. Something. We, again. But it's up to see, that's where the Holy Spirit lives. I don't, I not lie. And again, I, I'm, I'm repeating myself, but it's not difficult. Don't make it such a mystery. Don't get upset when you feel like being upset. When you do speak too quick and there's something wrong, be humble. Pull it back. Pull it back. Say, I'm sorry. When you want to stay angry, you know, and when somebody legitimately hurts you, like we say, well, it's just the basics. Of Forgive. I mean, even this morning I was reading again where he just flat says, bless those who curse you. 
And I got to tell you, I still, that's, you know, that don't make sense. But yet he said, Paul said, we bless those who curse us. That's what we who are in Christ do. Now, all of you are perfect at that, right? Right? No, seriously, you've all passed that test. Is that correct? You're all perfect. Yes, you are. Des, are you perfect in that area? You always bless people that curse you, right? See, uh, Des has got it. Hallelujah. But I mean, you know, but see, but the fact is, for God to say all those things, all I'm trying to get at it, for God to say all those things means we can do it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be written. Like I said, I know I'm jumping all over the place today. But anyhow, I was going to speak on 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, because I said all that to say, even though we're in this new covenant, please put it back up. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 10. I'm going to try to read a couple of verses in hand. Like I said, then I'll just stop and we'll have our sandwich. Hallelujah. David, are you going to do that dance you said you're going to do later? You're going to do Maybe? Okay. Now, watch what he says. I don't want you to be ignorant or uninformed, brethren, that our forefathers... We're all under and protected by the cloud in which God's presence went before them. Every one of them passed safely through the Red Sea, type of baptism. Keep going, next verse. And each of them followed himself also, or excuse me, allowed himself also to be baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And through that, they were basically, like it says, they were brought under obligation to the law, to Moses and to the covenant. They were consecrated and set apart to the service of God by that. Next verse. All of them ate the same spiritual, supernaturally given food. And they all drank the same spiritual, supernaturally given drink. For they drank from a spiritual rock which followed them. Produced by the sole power of God himself without natural instrumentality, and the rock was Christ. Next. Nevertheless, in other words, you see, all of us, that we've been born again. We've had righteousness imputed to us. We've had right standing with God decreed and declared over us, and we are. We're right with God. We will not come up for judgment. Our end, listen, our end result is, is permanent. Hallelujah. Our end result, heaven is our home. We have gained eternity. Hallelujah. 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 But now watch what he goes on to say here. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with the great majority of them, for they were overthrown, many of them, as we're going to see. They were overthrown and strewn down along the ground in the wilderness. Now, these things, but this is the thing I want us to get to. He said in this new covenant, nevertheless, even though our, our ticket, as it were, is punched, heaven is our home. But he said, but these things are examples, they're warnings what they went through and what happened to them, they are warnings and admonitions for us. And then he lists the five things, the five things that kept God's people from entering into the promise. And you see, while we have our ticket punched again and while we have eternal life, 
what all these things speak to. And he said, I don't want you to be ill-advised or I don't want you to be ignorant. These things, now they're not going to cause you to die physically, but it did to them in the past. But see, remember again, spiritual death means distance, separation from the presence of God. But he nevertheless says, I want you to understand this. These five things will keep you separated from the promise. I said they'll keep you separated from the promise in the here and now. Now see, the fact is God wants his promises to come to pass in our life now. Now, in our lifetime, in this being, in this place right now. Please don't ever doubt that. He wants it to happen. But again, these things are written for our admonition. They're written for us as examples that we don't fall after the same sins that they did, that we don't give ourselves over to the same issues, these same five things, because again, what Paul's saying is these things will keep you from inheriting the promises. So I was going to teach this whole thing on it, but anyhow, so go back, go back to the last verse, please. Um, number one is lust. He said for us, now the King James would say, you know, don't lust after carnal things. But I've got all kinds of notes on this. I could pull out and read right now. I just don't feel like doing it. But it's not, when you hear the word lust, everybody almost instantly thinks about sex. But love, remember the word lust means to have an inordinate desire. And what they lusted for was they lusted for what they had in Egypt. Remember, it says, we remember, the verse literally says, they say, we remember what we used to have before we were saved. We remember the pleasure that we enjoyed before we started coming to church. In, in other words, they had their mind on their flesh. I said they still were being controlled by their flesh. Basically, they were, when you studied out, it speaks of self-indulgence. They were really gripped by self-indulgence. I want to feel good. I want to eat what I want to eat. I want to drink what I want to I want to do what I want to do. And man, I remember in the world, like I said, when I used to counsel people, these kids coming off of drugs and stuff, a teen challenge and prisons, so many of these guys, they, the, the big deal for young guys was always talking about like how drunk they used to get. None of you have ever done that. I'm only talking to the men because I know no women in here have ever gotten drunk. But you know what I mean? Some guys, they talk about, man, oh, do you remember that time? I mean, I was so loaded, man. And they talk about how 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 loaded they got on drugs. And they or they talk about the chicks, the females that they had. And that one night, do you remember that night? And they, they just keep lingering in something from the past. And basically what Paul is saying is that stuff is simply going to cause you a whole heck of a lot of trouble, man. You can't keep thinking that. And, of course, you've heard me teach Hebrews many times. If you keep thinking about the place where you came from, you'll create, you'll create constant opportunity to go back to it. So that's why you just sanctify, you circumcise your mouth. You don't talk that stuff anymore, right? Unless you, go, unless you want to welcome the problems in your life. So that's what lust was. They wanted meat. They wanted meat. We want meat. We remember it said, we remember what we used to do in Egypt. So God says, and this is the thing that's so scary to me when you really see it in a few places. God will give you what you constantly ask for, and, it's, and it necessarily isn't, but it's not necessarily his will. But if you keep pressing and pushing and pressing, 
But remember, he gave them the meat to the point that the quails, you know, were piled high. And it said, but while the meat was in their teeth, they died. A plague came. In other words, okay, you want it, you can have it, but don't you understand it's going to kill you? And he says again, now don't you hear what I'm saying? We're not talking about physical death today, but we're talking about separation from God's presence and being kept back from what he's promised you. He's just saying, don't give in to self-indulgence. Quit always leaning into your flesh, okay? And then the second one, if the next one, it just says in the next verse, it says, don't be worshipers of false gods. As some were, then, in other words, idolatry. The first one is lust, the second one's idolatry. It says, don't be worshipers of false gods, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink. The sacrifices offered to the golden calf at Horeb, and they rose to sport, to dance, and to give way to jesting and hilarity. Now, idolatry is a trip because idolatry in Scripture says anything, anything that you give more attention to that you give than, than what you give to God, heaven sees that as idolatry. Listen, science can be idolatry. The thing about idolatry is, like meat or science, television, dance, whatever, none of these things are evil in and of themselves, right? Nothing evil about science. But yet there can be things that we just become possessed with. And all I'm saying, I'm just trying to give you what the Word says. He said that'll keep you from inheriting the promises. In Colossians chapter 3, it says that, you know, if you continue to give yourself these things, he said they actually call that the deifying of self instead of God. We can deify ourselves. We can, in other words, bow down to everything we want. i got to tell you something. See, this is why our worship, our praise, being in the Word, like I said again, it is crucial that you actually understand what this Christianity is all about because he wants a better life for you. He paid a heck of a price for you, and I have a better life. But he knows that this law of sense and reason that's in your flesh constantly speaks to us and constantly prods us and tries to get us to obey its promptings. And he's just saying, don't do that, because he said, this stuff will keep you. It can become idolatry. I mean, it, it you know, and the thing about idols, I always remember... Oh, what was the guy? I think it was Daniel Amstutz, an incredible worship leader from Bob Yandine Church many, two decades ago, if not more, three decades ago. He was doing this teaching about some of the problems some worship leaders have and, and, uh, and just people who are, you know, it's all about me. It's all about the music I make. It's all about this. And he said, really, it's idolatry. And he said, what pe- most people don't understand is idols were making to be picked up and thrown down and broken. So whatever's an idol in our life, it is true if you really, I'll just say it's simple, God will break it. It will stop giving you whatever you think you're getting from it. I said it'll stop giving. Just like people who lust and they've got to have money and they actually succeed and they get tons and tons of money. We've said it here before. Some of the wealthiest people on the earth are the most miserable people of the earth because they get what they want, but they find out that wasn't it. Now think about that. You have all the money. Because most people in our, in our human nature, we think how much life would change. How much more would life, man, I mean, how much, how good would life be if I was making, let's say, a paltry 25 grand a month? 
right? I mean, honestly. If we had if I was making 25 grand a month. But see, think about this is what happens. But you've got to catch this. Is making 25 or 100 or a million a month like some of the stars do or a million an episode or two million an episode like some of these people make? That's not evil in and of itself. But the fact is, if the thought of giving you, of you getting 25 grand a month excites you more than the thought of being near God We, we still haven't woken up yet. We still haven't awakened to the treasure that God is. And you know, Proverbs speaks about it in several places. If you will seek God's wisdom as hid treasure. If you'll seek God's wisdom like you'd want to seek treasure. Then it says he'll reveal to you the deep, the secret, and the inner meanings of his covenant. See, remember when I tried to do that little illustration about eternity is about this. I mean, our entire life right now is, is, is like an inch and a half. Everything from birth to death is this much. But out there about 5,000 feet is eternity. And all of this is preparation for eternity. And yet we worry. We think this is what it's all about. We think this is what it's all about. And yet there's, you know, all of that out there. And we don't understand that we're, we're in a, well, we, we, we do. We, Paul said, I have a debt to pay. I have an obligation to perform because of the grace that's come to me. And you know what? Because of the grace that came to us in Jesus Christ, we actually do have an obligation we have a responsibility. People are, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, millions of people. This is hard. This is hard. This is the hard side of things. Hundreds of thousands of people are going to exist eternally in a Satan's hell where the fire will never be quenched, where the worm that wounds them never dies. You know, that's what you've escaped. It's no light thing, your salvation. It's no light thing. Hell is real. It's all these people today, all these major leaders that say hell isn't real, that it's not. They don't ever, they much never open the book because hell's very real. But again, it wasn't prepared for people. It was prepared for Satan and his angels. It says that categorically. But nevertheless, because people make these wrong choices. And it is amazing. Romans 1, again, is clear. He said, you know, if you actually really understood what he said, that God, because he's love, that God has, has. See, this is, you have to walk by faith. You need, you, you, we're called to believe the scripture. Romans 1 very clearly says, God has, he has revealed himself to every man and woman that's ever breathed through creation. Now, don't take your great intellect and try to figure it all out. Just understand, God has shown himself to be God to every man and woman that's ever existed. But it says, oh, you know, three times, even Romans 1, uh, twice. But it says, you know, but God 
said the people began to do what? They began to worship something that was created more than the one who created it. And then it says this. So what does God do? Does he force them to change? No. It says, in each case, he gave them over to their own will. If that's what you want, that's what you can have. And that part, I hope you understand, is still true today. If you want it, you can have it. You can have it. God won't force you to go another way because, again, like we always say, he's a gentleman. He won't. It's our individual choice. We're the most powerful people there are. We're powerful entities on planet Earth and that we begin what's called free moral will. We can make a choice. But think about that. Hell is going to be full of millions of people in absolute anguish forever, and it was never God's intent. Never. But he rejoiced in making mankind have a free will. Because, again, he did not want robots. I know you've heard most of this kind of stuff before, but we need to be reminded of it often. He wanted people who would make a choice to worship him. He loved so much he gave. That's the whole truth. Remember, love, can't, love is never fulfilled until it gives itself away. He couldn't be fulfilled until he gave himself. And so he created man in his own likeness and image. And he said, rule everything, have dominion. Subdue, enjoy. It's a garden. I'm putting you in a garden. Anything and everything you'll ever need is there. Well, that's what it says. That's actually what it says we have in the new covenant. God has given us all things to enjoy. Hallelujah. So, idolatry. You've got to ask yourself is there something in my life that's taking the place that actually belongs to God. And all I'm saying, if there is, then understand. If you, you can still you hold on to it if you want, but it will cause harm. Uh, I've said, shared this story before too, but when Julie and I lived out in uh, Lane End, out there near where Kevin and Sarah live, we lived out there, and there was an Elam church there, and we had offices upstairs in like this balcony area. And uh, the pastor's daughter... I forget her name now, but anyhow, her daughter and her three friends, she was like 8, 19, 20 years old, attractive girl, and her girlfriends, but she just was bound smoking. I mean, just she, and she always felt guilty about smoking cigarettes. And, and anyhow, for some reason, they came up in the office one day, and they were up there, wooden floors like this. You might remind, remember the story. But for some reason, she said, I just so wish I could quit smoking. And I said, well, why don't you just tell you, just stop it? I said, don't you understand? And she said, well, no, I just can't. I tried this and I've tried that. I said, well, have you ever thought about the fact that smoking to a degree is idolatry? She said, what do you mean? And for some reason, I never thought about doing this. I wasn't trying to be clever. I said, see, if, I said, get on your knees down there. Take a cigarette. See if you can make a cigarette stand up on its end. So ultimately, she got down there and she got her near girlfriends are laughing at her and stuff like that. And so she gets, she finally makes a cigarette stand straight up on the floor. Okay, stand it up. You got a picture of this. Can you see that? And I said, okay, now bow down on your knees in front of it. I said, back up a little bit from the cigarette. I said, put both your hands out, put your face to the floor, and put all your hands, put both your hands down like this in front of the cigarette. And I said, now say this with me. Oh, mighty God of tobacco. And her girlfriends are cracking up and she, I'm not going to say She said, I said, say it. Oh, mighty God of tobacco. Almighty God of tobacco, I worship you. I worship you. And they were just, you'd have to have been there. The girl, her friends are cracking up and laughing and what have you. But see, what happened is suddenly I said, do you actually see 
what's happening? A piece of paper, a piece of paper with some plants, <laughs> a piece of paper, a piece of paper with some stuff in it that you burn is dictating to you. It's, it is controlling you to the point that you're bowing to it anytime it talks to you. I said, do you see that that's possibly kind of silly? And all I know is it really hit her spirit. Can you see why? Because in perspective, you know, she saw in perspective what it was like. And see, I don't know about you, but I get ups- I get a bit, ang- I get angry when I actually, when you actually wake up to the truth that something is controlling me. It should bother you. I said it should bother you. It should bother you unless your heart is so calloused. But that's again why you stay in the word because the word will soften up and break up that fallow ground. But can you see that there are some things, if it's actually, if it dictates to you, that's the big loud fireworks in the sky saying, dude, deal with this. Because that's idolatry. It's holding you back from the promises of God. He loves you. Your ticket is punched. You're going to live throughout all eternity in heaven. But on this earth, you won't have anywhere near the fullness that he wants you to have because you're an idolater. I know you don't like hearing that. Do you think I like hearing that? Because like I said, I'm, I'm one of the few people in this room I know that are perfect. But I'm concerned for the rest of you. No. But like I said, you know, to say the least, I'm far from it. But the point is, Again, now these things are written for our admonition so that we don't fall in our time on earth. Lust. Stay away from self-indulgence. Try Do your best to recognize it. Say, no, I'm not going to let that control me. And then he says, idolatry. Recognize what idolatry looks like. Keep away from it. Now the next one, if, you're gonna, if you can remember John Ward verse, if you can go to the next verse. The next one after that is sex sins or immorality. It talks about we must not gratify evil desire and indulge in immorality, as some of them did. 23,000 suddenly fell dead in a single day. Now, we could take four weeks to talk about the sacredness of sex. Dr. Cole, my, one of my major mentors, you know, he wrote that book called The Sacredness of Sex. But all I want to say about this is we, in today's, particularly in today, as far, the further we go, the worse it's going to get. The holiness of the sexual union between a husband and wife has been minimalized, sentimentalized, any other kind of lies, more than anything that is prevalent in this age. The whole gay movement is part of all that. If it, I, you know, I want to, if I can, I can have sex with anybody I want to. I don't care. I mean, in Romans one, I don't know what people are going to do about that. Romans one is so clear. But all I'm getting at. The issue of sexual sin is something that is incredibly, I'm not approved, but I'm telling you, you can't everywhere. It is incredibly important from heaven's perspective because, again, it is one of the holiest things that God ever created because of what it speaks to when it becomes a man and a woman becoming one and entering into a blood covenant. 
becoming one again. Remember when God made man, we watched the other day, uh, Oh, Jim Garlow, Dr. Jim, our friend Jim Garlow do this little thing about man and what the word actually meant. When God created man, he created man, Adam. But, you know, remember, God isn't male or female. He's both. Everything that's in a female and a male. Now, when it says that in, in the third chapter that he made mankind, that meant he meant humanity. But it says when he separated Eve from Adam... It says cell. The word isn't cell. It's this word T-S-E-L-I-A. And it means to take a half. Basically, here was man, Adam, fully God, fully man, fully woman. Everything that was God was in Adam. But God comes, he takes the half of Adam that was woman and set it over here. The picture is so incredible because you see, For the fullness of God to be seen, God created something called marriage. And God caused this thing so that when they come back together again, the fullness of what God's intent was can be expressed. And the very ecstasy of the sexual act is something that God put between man and woman to show them just a hairbreadth's idea of what is going to be five billion times greater than that in heaven, the ecstasy that is forever eternal in heaven. Now, don't freak out. We're most of us adults here, but if anybody's ever had sex, I know nobody in here has had sex. Is that right? I know we're not supposed to talk about it in church, right? Which, I'm sorry, young man, that guy, young, youngsters here, I better be careful. Kids, I'm sorry, forgive me for the kids. But I'm just saying... Whatever you think about that experience when that happens, and we all know what I'm talking about, whatever that physical elation is, God actually, God, see, God created it. It's not evil. Just like all these other things aren't evil, but unless you use them in an evil way or if you use them outside of the will of God. But that feeling literally is God created that to be an expression, to give you just a, just a minute idea of what you're going to feel in heaven for all eternity. But this is why, again, it is so holy. And, of course, we know today, I mean, you can't, anything and everything has something that tries to allure you away, pull you away. And let me tell you, it's just not men. Women have to fight it too. And there's things when they see these incredible ripped bodies of these men, you know, the women go, at least, never mind, I'm not going to say a word. Okay, all right, now, don't get so heavy on me, but I'm just saying, you understand? Why are you smiling so much, Denise? Sorry, I didn't mean to embarrass you, but I just saw you smiling so much. Oh my, I better get off this subject very quickly. The point is, it's everywhere because, again, Satan has magnified and magnified and will continue to magnify this to the point of no return. And this is, again, why the issue is when, why Paul is writing this to the Corinthian church is because the Corinthian church in Corinth was an isthmus, like you've heard me say, and it was a seaport city. It was the most famed area of the earth at that time for sexual promiscuity. They had temples that had a minimum of 1,000 prostitutes per temple, male or female. Right next to the female temple was a male temple. 
blah, 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 blah. And so the Christians among Corinth are living around this all the time. And so in history, when you read Josephus and stuff, it says very, they actually used to talk about people or places becoming Corinthianized. And what they meant by that is they had been given over to licentiousness and just, you know, all the Christians are living this where people are walking in and out every day, you know. The way they worship is they're having sex. The way they worship is they're having sex. And so it just became like, well, I guess it's okay. But see, that's the same thing that we're in today. It's okay. Surely it's not a big deal. I mean, how are you going to know? If, how, shall, how, can I, how can I marry somebody if I've never had sex with them? I mean, you know, I've had many counselors. And, you, and see, that's what I mean. They've been so blinded by this world that they don't understand. Well, most, most of the issues churches have never really taught. People have never been bold enough to teach about the holiness of sex in church. But the point is, guys... This is one thing that you have to understand for yourself, and I'm praying that you're bold enough to share with friends, girlfriends, guys, brothers, or what have you. It is no light thing. Don't just give yourself physically to people left and right. You are doing yourself so much harm. Do you know that in the Bible clearly it says that fornication is the only sin that's against the whole body of Christ? That's a heavy statement. Anyhow, but enough on that. So lust, idolatry, Sex sins, the next one. And you're going 23,000. We should not tempt the Lord. Tempting the Lord. Now, a lot of people have difficulty with this. And tempting the Lord. And the, the final one is murmuring and complaining. So lust, idolatry, sex sins, tempting God, and murmuring. Those are the five things that kept God's people from actually possessing the promises. And again, he says these things are written for our admonition today. So tempting God, basically, it means what, what the, pastor, the passage of Corinthians speaks about there is when many people in Israel began to, to speak against Moses and say, hey, don't we have authority too? Hey, we know how to lead too. And basically, they got into something called presumption. And this is something that a whole course is taught on in any good, excuse me, any good Bible school. Because it talks about, it, you have to begin to be, have revealed to you the difference between what's called positional authority and God-given authority. Basically, if God calls somebody to be in a leadership, if God sets, the Bible says God hath set some in the church. Sadly, today we've got all kinds of churches that are full of leaders that have been set by men. It's all the difference in the world between a man that's been called by God and a man that's been called by man. Hallelujah. One day you'll run him. But what happened is these were people that had gifts, had giftings, had graces on their life, but they began to look at Moses and them and say, well, I don't understand. We, we've got leadership skills too, and they do. And this is why Moses, you know, he found other people. But see, some people get impatient. And the verse that is so strong is in Psalm 106 that I think is so important throughout all the Scripture. It says they did not wait for God's plans to develop. People don't wait. They can't stand to wait. And they don't wait for God's plans to develop. You may have a calling on you. You may have something very strong, a very strong gift on you. But that doesn't mean you've yet been shown faithful enough to be found to be set by God into a position. But what happens in churches, we had it happen here already a few years ago with certain individuals that I love with all my heart, I still do. But he, uh, this, this fellow took something upon him and he began to think that 
Well, that he knew more than me. And you know what? In some areas, the fact is this is somebody can know more than you. But the issue is you're not in the position that God places other men in. Like David, this is why David, he would not hurt Saul because he knew that while Saul was still God's anointed, I'm not touching God's anointed. And there has to be a holy reverence come back in the church to understand that. Because everybody in the church can have ideas that are stronger than mine, that's for sure, and I'm sure many of you do. But I'm doing my best to listen to you guys. Julie and I are trying to listen to the people that we recognize that have such giftings because we want to you, we want to see you empowered, you know what I mean? In other words, I'm not the big dog. But nevertheless, I'm the dog God chose here. And so I'm sorry if you don't like it, there's a whole lot of other dogs out there. <laughs> but what I'm trying to get at, he said this is one of the major things that when he says tempted God, it meant that people presume to see themselves at a level of authority that their leaders were in when they were not. And that's actually that aspect. And so this comes back to a true, again, acknowledgement of authority, but again, not a submission to the man, but submission to the truth that God had put the man or the woman there, whatever it may be. David is our worship pastor. Doesn't mean he knows more about music than anybody else on the planet, but he's the one that's in that position. So he carries that authority, okay? Abby, she's not here this morning. She had to go back to Nigeria, but you know, she's like our prayer pastor. Deji's not here today because he had work to complete, but like Deji is a recognized prophetic voice here. And be, but we've recognized them because we've known them for years. We've seen their fruit, is what I'm trying to say. So when somebody say, if somebody says something to me against Deji or something about that, I'm going to, uh, you know, I might listen to see if there's facts, but I see it's not his place to do anything about it, though. If there is something, problem, it's mine. Or it's my place, you know what I mean, to do it. But I'm just trying to say, raise no accusation against an elder. But nevertheless, like I said, these things can be taught far deeper. But the issue is that's, that's enough about that, tempting Christ. And the final one is probably, in my opinion, as horrible as some of the others are, we have, I still believe, when you read Proverbs, you have no idea how much harm comes to our life when you really are a person giving to murmuring and grumbling and complaining. And I'm telling you, we all uh, we have plenty of opportunity for that, don't we? I do. But God's word is just absolutely precise about that stuff. And of course, in scripture, when he's talking about it in the Old Testament, he talks about how when they began to murmur and complain, well, that's where do you remember number 16? It's still one of them that blows my mind. We all know the story, numbers 15. Remember when Korah the sons of Korah and all of them came against Moses and said, who are you? Who do you think you are? Who set you up as leader? And Moses falls on his face for God says, Father, forgive him, whatever. But nevertheless, he's, God says to him, tell everybody to separate themselves. If they want to be with you, tell them to separate themselves from the tents of Korah and come and stand on this side. Everybody that wants to go with Korah, stand on this side. And there's going to be a judgment happen. And, it's going to be, and if anything has ever happened, it says it's going to be unlike anything that's ever happened in the earth before. And, of course, you all know, remember, they were grumbling and complaining, murmuring and complaining against Moses. And remember, how many remember what happened? The whole earth opens up. 
And like I always say, you know, if this happened this morning or right now, you know, on this side, sorry guys, on this side, you know, the earth opens up and all this side goes down into the earth, screaming alive into hell itself, that would be a different Sunday. I mean, I would go away going, that was different. Wouldn't you? I mean, my God, you know, this happens because of murmuring and complaining. All these people, I said, are swallowed alive into the pit. Now, that would kind of, like I said, leave an impression on you, you think. But the next morning, I mean, 12 hours later, the people murmur and complain against Moses and say, you've killed the goat. Lord. You know, they just, and this is why God's going, my God, don't you, you know, please put a hand to your mouth. Don't get caught up in this constant thing about murmuring. This is why there's some stuff on, I can't watch a whole lot of news. The news will drive me nuts. Some of the stuff in the back and forth, and of course we all know here this thing, the Brexit thing, oh my God. You just wish somebody would put Brexit on the moon and shoot a missile into it or something, man. I don't know what. But, you know, we're so, everybody's so tired of it. But I can't, want because when I watch it, I'll start out of my mouth. I mean, there'll be words start coming out of my mouth. You know, my God, that's stupid. The other one, that's stupid. That's stupid. And you may think, well, that's no big deal. But really, see, before God, I realize, all I know is this. How much more will our lives be blessed if we shut up? And just say, you know what? Praise God. His will will be done. It's just as easy to say, my Father's will is going to come to pass here. God's will is going to come to pass for Great Britain. God's will will come to pass for this nation. What if we all had that attitude as opposed to all sharing our opinion that just leads? This is why Paul, the pastoral epistles, the thing that Paul speaks of more than anything else in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and even Ephesians is considered a pastoral epistle by many schools. Over and over again, do not give in, do not give heed to all these myths and fables and constant speculations about this, about that. All people are talking about things that they don't actually have understanding of. Do not listen to it. Do not be a part of it. Don't give yourself to old wives' tales. Quit listening. Shut it up. Let it alone. Don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. Leave it alone. Avoid, 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 avoid. In other words, if you and I are going to walk in any purity before God, we, we really need, need to ask God, help us, deliver me from murmuring. I know I want to complain so bad. I want to complain so bad. I will feel so much better if I could talk about this. But all I can tell you is this book says that kept them from entering into the promise. Just having a life full of murmuring, muttering. Funny, you should do, do your own word study. Search some of those things and find out where murmur comes from, where mutter comes from. The word mutter literally speaks to demon worship, where these people would mutter their little incantations. The word mutter actually speaks of just that, of, 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 of how they would, they would worship the devil with mutterings. And uh, we don't realize that we may be giving more praise to the devil because remember, he's the accuser. Christ is the redeemer. And so when we start being an accuser, guess whose side we're on? 
So anyhow, let's not do that, okay? Just say we won't do that. Okay, I'm going to read, I'm going to open my notes and just, I'm going to read the last part of Corinthians. I didn't know I was going to go there. I'm sorry. Like I said, I'm just trying to listen to what God's trying to say. I just want us to have the promises of God because I know how much he wants us to have the promises of God. Can you put up 1 Corinthians 10 chapter, I mean, verse 11? We'll read 11 through 15. And again, he repeats himself. And he, so again, remember what there are five things that kept Israel from entering into the promise of lust, idolatry, sex sins and sensuality, tempting God or tempting Christ, and murmuring and complaining. Paul said, now these things, now remember, if you're born again, your ticket's punched. Hallelujah. You have eternal life. You're right with God. You're living right. See, it sounds like a contradiction. This is what I mean where you have to strike the balance. You are right with God. But it's the issue. It's not the issue of you being right with God. It's the issue of whether or not we want promises to come to pass. I said it's the issue of whether or not we want God's promises to happen. The issue is an eternal life. The issue is having the fullness of God on earth, which he wants us to have. 1 Corinthians 10, chapter, verse 11. Now these things befell them by way of a figure as an example and a warning to us. Now here again, even though it's Old Testament what happened, he said today, New Testament, you covenant born again, eternity filled people, it's still an example. We're supposed to learn from it because what happened, what they do, the types and shadows of what they did still work today in this covenant today. Keep us away from things. Now these things befell them by way of a figure as an example and warning to us. They were written to admonish and fit us for right action by good instruction. We, in whose days the ages have reached their climax, the consummation and concluding period. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands, who feels sure that he has a steadfast mind and a standing firm, take heed lest he fall into this kind of sin. For, here's the verse we all know, no temptation, no trial regarded as enticing to sin, no matter how it comes or where it leads, has overtaken you and laid hold on you that's not common to man. That is, no temptation or trial has come to you that is beyond human resistance and that is not adjusted, adapted, and belonging to the human experience and such as a man can bear. But our God is faithful to his word and to his compassionate nature, and our God can be trusted to not let you be tempted or tried or assayed beyond your ability and strength of resistance and power to endure it. Hallelujah. You understand that there's no temptation that's come to you that you can't resist. But he is faithful with the temptation. He will always also provide the way out. The means of escape to a landing place that you may be capable and strong and powerful to bear up under it patiently. Therefore, my dearly beloved, shun. Keep clear away from. Avoid by flight if need be. In other words, run from it. I mean, run from it. Avoid by flight, if need be, any sort of idolatry of loving or venerating anything more than God. 
Hallelujah. So these five issues kept God's people from entering into these promises. So may we be forewarned and simply watch over one another to not enter into any of these dangers. Hallelujah. I'm done. Everybody say, I'm so glad he's done. Isle, you're blessed. I know that you're excited that I'm finished. I appreciate it. <laughs> Sorry. I'm watching the little boy. He's playing a game up here and he got all excited because he got something right. He went, yes, yes. I thought he was I thought he was praising me for a moment there. I don't know, scared me. Anyhow, guys, like I said, it's it's uh, I just want you to experience the best of God. I want you to learn how to be led by the Spirit. Follow those promptings, those little that's something that says yes. I mean, you already know what they are. You feel them all the time. Well, I don't think, I, I don't, I'm not going to go there. Uh, you know what? I think I'm going to do this. Just follow that. And you know what? Life will get gooder and gooder. Amen. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 